the first thing that we have to know to live and die in the joy of this comfort is to know that we are the great sinners. The second thing is to know how we are delivered from the sin and misery. Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. Thanks for joining me in The Fox Den. Well, last time we took a look at Heidelberg Catechism question number one. Today we're going to look at question number two. So let me begin by reading this question and answer. So question two asks, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? It answers by saying three. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is that this question is asking what you need to know. It's not asking what you need to do. And this is important because people think that you have to do something in order to make God happy and in order to stay in his good graces. But this question is asking what do you need to know to live and die in the joy of this comfort. And next, you need to know that the comfort that it's talking about is the comfort that question one was talking about. So if you remember, question one asked, what is your only comfort in life and in death? So question two is referring to that comfort or is referring to question one. And then next, notice that each part of this answer is actually quite broad. As the remainder of the questions are asked and answered, it will define each of the three different parts. And then finally, I want you to see that each of the three parts make up the pattern of the Heidelberg Catechism. So you can break questions 3 to 129 into three parts, guilt, grace, and gratitude. So the first part talks about our guilt in Adam and the sins that we commit. The second part discusses our redemption in Christ. And the third part refers to how we are to be thankful. So let's take some time to look at the three parts of this answer and dig a little deeper in each part. So the first part talks about how great our sin and misery are. And this is talking about the first section, guilt. Now, I've talked about this in great detail throughout many of my episodes, but you can listen to episode nine, where I talk about this in in a little more depth. But the first thing that we have to know is how sinful we are. We have to admit our own guilt. We have to acknowledge that we deserve the wrath of God because of our own sin. Now, I know that we don't like to think of ourselves as bad people. We always want to see ourselves as good people. It's the other guy who does bad stuff. I mean, I may not be perfect, but I'm not like Hitler. That's how we typically think. And we're really deflecting our own guilt when we do that. But again, the Bible paints a completely different picture of who we are. So if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, we see that God created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden. He gives Adam a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that he eats of it, he will surely die. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Then we see in Genesis 3, verse 6, that Adam eats the forbidden fruit. So that's where death entered. And all of us are related to Adam, so we are all guilty in Adam. So we are sinners, and we deserve the the wrath and curse of God because of our own sin, but primarily because of the guilt of Adam. Now again, I, I know that you think it's not fair that we're guilty because of another man's sin. But before we go down that path, 
we have to understand that our salvation is based on the same principle, and we'll look at that at the second part of the answer of question two. Now, to demonstrate that we are indeed affected by Adam's sin in Genesis 3, let's take a look at other verses in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 7.20 is very clear that there is not a righteous man on earth, and there is not a person who does good and never sins. You see, that's us. Ecclesiastes 7.20 is saying that we're not righteous and we don't do good. And I know this is counter to the way that we think. We think that we actually do good, but the Bible paints a different picture. It says, no, we don't. Or Jeremiah 17.9, which says that the human heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick. Or Romans 8.7, which I have referred to on many occasions, where the mind of sinful man is hostile to God. It refuses to submit to God's law, and it is unable to do so. Or look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 19. And I think this really articulates the depth of our wickedness. He says that people loved darkness because their works are evil. Folks, that's not those guys. That's us. And Paul confirms this elsewhere in Romans, in Romans chapter 3. In verses 10 through 18, he says there's none righteous, there are none who do good. And that's the heart that he's talking about. But look at their conduct in verses 13 to 18. They destroy with their words. They lie. They're quick to shed blood, which means they're destructive. They don't know the way of peace, and they don't fear God. You see, our tendency is to look at Romans chapter 3, Romans 8, 7, John three nineteen, any of these other verses where it talks about the sinfulness of mankind or their wickedness and point to other people. But the first part of the answer in the second question of the Heidelberg Catechism is getting to this fact that the first thing that we have to know to live and die in the joy of this comfort is to know that we are the great sinners, that Romans 3 is talking about me, it's talking about you. Romans 8, 7 is talking about me, and it's talking about you. You see, apart from Christ, we love darkness. And this is why salvation is an act of God, and it's purely an act of God. You and I would have nothing to do with God whatsoever because we love darkness, because our hearts are evil. That's what the Bible is saying. And the second question of the Heidelberg Catechism is getting to this point that we have to know this about ourselves in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort. But it's not the only thing that we have to know. It's the first thing that we have to know. The second thing is to know how we are delivered from the sin and misery. Now, I talk about this in depth throughout many of my episodes, but in particular, episodes two through five. So if you haven't done so already, I recommend that you listen to those episodes. But we have to know how God delivers us from sin and misery, and it's not by our conduct. It's by what God has done. You see, Paul actually lays this out for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And again, I talk about this in depth in episode 5. But we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And while we were dead, God made us alive with Christ. And he raised us with Christ and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So you see, God is the one who did the work. But at this point, let me go backwards a little bit. You see, immediately after Adam sinned in Genesis 3, 
God cursed the serpent, who is Satan, and basically in that curse he made a promise that he was going to defeat Satan. And how was he going to do that? Well, the seed of the woman was going to crush his head. So God made a promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to defeat Satan by crushing his head with the seed of the woman, which means a human. And who is that seed that he was talking about? Jesus. So God was telling us about Jesus all the way back in Genesis 3.15. So if we fast forward hundreds of years, actually you could say a couple thousand years, and Jesus is born. Now remember, Jesus Christ is God who became a man. We see in John chapter 1 that Jesus existed back in creation. He wasn't a man back in creation. He was God back in the time of creation. He later became a man. So he's born of the Virgin Mary, and he grows up into a man, and the whole time he never sins. And yet, he knew why he came to earth, and it was to live in perfect submission to the law of God, yet take the sins of sinful man on himself and die the death that we deserve because of our own sin, because of our own wickedness, because of our own corruption. So he takes our sins on himself and he dies the death that we deserve. The wrath of God is poured out on him, not on you and me. And so the justice of God is satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then going back to Ephesians chapter 2, what does God do? He takes his enemy, somebody who is hostile to him, Romans 8, 7, and he makes them spiritually alive with Christ. He makes them alive, raises them with Christ, seats them with Christ in the heavenly places. He unites them to Christ. So he takes his enemy. He takes that, that man and that woman who hates God, who wants to destroy God, and he makes them his child. And he does so by his grace alone. You did nothing for God to act in that way. It simply pleased him to do so. God saves by his grace alone. We see that in Ephesians 2.8. So we need to know that I am as sinful as the Bible says I am. By my own sinful nature, apart from the work of God, I hate him. But I also need to know what God did. And while I hated him, he extended his grace to me and united me to Christ, making me alive with him, raising me with him, seating me with him in the heavenly places. Not because I asked him to do so, It just pleased God to do so. We are saved by his grace alone. So these are the first two things that we have to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort. And then the third thing that we need to know is how we are to thank God for delivering us. And this is actually quite simple. You love him. You serve him with gratitude. You aim to please him by your obedience. You aim to please him by honoring him with your conduct. Did you notice in this answer, it says nothing about how to stay in the good graces of God. If you're a believer in Christ, you're already there. God brought you in by his own grace. You can't do anything to get kicked out. So now from this point on, you conduct yourselves in a way that says thank you to God because he took his enemy and made that person his child. And he didn't do it because you wanted it. He did it because it pleased him to do so. So why is this important? Well, first, I think it helps you understand the basics of what you need to know. You need to know that you're a sinner, that Christ is the only Savior, and you live your life in a manner to say thank you to God. 
Second, I think it reminds you of the depth of your sin in misery and the grace of God. Again, they're the first part. It says how great your sin and misery are. So I think it's a reminder that my sin and misery is actually great. It also reminds me that I am delivered. And it points me to Christ, even though the answer is actually quite general and it doesn't become specific here in question two. I'm reminded that I need to know that I'm delivered through Christ. And again, I also think it helps us understand that our obedience isn't to make God happy and to keep ourselves from being banished from the kingdom. Our life is to be lived in such a way that it says thank you to God. And finally, I think it serves as a reminder that you need to know something to live and die in this joy. You don't have to do something. Again, we typically think that we have to do something to stay in the good graces of God. Now, to be honest, yes, God is displeased when we sin. Absolutely. But that's not the point here. In order to live and die in the joy of this comfort, we need to know three things, not do three things. We need to know three things. So I think this question is important because it shifts our paradigm. And it takes us away of thinking we have to do something. And it puts it where it belongs. We need to know something. Well, here's my assignment for you. I think it will be helpful to you to memorize question two. This is actually pretty easy, I think, to memorize. But also, I would encourage you to read the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, I don't think you have to read it in one sitting. You can if you would like, and that might be helpful to you. I mean, all of us do things a little bit differently. But you could just take one question a day. Read the question and answer, and then just ponder on that question and answer throughout the day. If you find a question and answer that's particularly meaningful to you, then write it down, put it on a card so that you'll see it. Maybe take some time to memorize it. But I think it would be helpful for you to read the whole catechism, all 129 questions. So let me conclude this episode by reading question two of the Heidelberg Catechism and then reading question one. So question two asks, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? It answers by saying three. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And so that we understand the comfort that question two is talking about, let me read question and answer one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What a great blessing it is to know that God saved us by his grace alone through the Lord Jesus Christ alone, and we receive this by faith alone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can find this podcast on several different apps. If you like what I do, please leave a positive review. Please share or tell others about the Fox Den. Also check out thefoxdenjournal.com for articles and other resources. And thanks for listening. 